Hello and welcome everyone. Welcome to the final service of 2020. I can hardly believe that we are already here and, and wow, like what a year. Like 2020, man, it's just been one of those years that happens once in a lifetime. It's, it's the kind of year that defines an epoch. It's like it's remembered for, for generations to come. It's a little bit like 1939 or 1994 here in South Africa or 2001 if you're in America. And to be honest, kind of like those, some of those years, 2020 has been, a, it's been quite a rough year for most of us. It's been a year that most of us want to say goodbye to. We want to move on. We want to hit that magical reset button and hope that 2021 is going to be altogether better than 2020. So how do we say goodbye to, to 2020? How do we sum up 2020? How do I preach a final message for 2020? And this has been my challenge and as I wrestled with this, I felt the thing to do would be to go back to another defining time in the history of God's people. And this time was the early 6th century BC, when the last remnants of God's people, the people of Israel, had been carted off into exile in Babylon. And so we're going to look at the advice that God gave to his people during this time. And hopefully, hopefully as we do that, we're going to see some of the wisdom of God for ourselves in our time and our situation. So let's go to Jeremiah 29. And we're going to take it bit by bit and we're going to pause along the way just to ask what it means and what, it's, uh, what it means for us, how it relates to us. So Jeremiah 29 verses 1 to 3. Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, the priests and the prophets and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This was after King Jehoiasin, the queen mother, the court officials, the other officials of Judah, and all the craftsmen and artisans had been deported from Jerusalem. He sent the letter with Elisha, son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, and they went to Babylon as King, Nebuch as King Zedekiah's ambassadors to Nebuchadnezzar. This is what Jeremiah's letter said. Okay, so we had all the names there, right? I hope you remembered all of them. They're super important. Not really. These are the first three verses, and, and they're here to set the scene for us because we need to pause and take a moment to just understand what, what that means. What, what does it mean to be in exile, right? The elders, the priests, the prophets, the king, the queen mother, the court officials, all of the craftsmen, all of them have been deported into captivity in a foreign city called Babylon. What's that all about? Just take a moment to think, right? It means that the nation's spiritual and political leadership is in a total shambles. Politically speaking, this is the lowest point in the history of Judah. Their king is a puppet ruler to Babylon. He's like Jay-Z having to do whatever the Guptas tell him to do, right? That's basically what's going on. All of the civil laws and the rules that God set up to create a fair and just society, they don't exist anymore, right? Judah is no longer an independent nation. They've become an unwilling colony. Spiritually, the nation is lost and is floundering because Israel saw themselves as the people of God, the nation that God had chosen for themselves. Their national identity is critically important to them. And so when that national identity gets compromised, it destroys their perception and their relationship with God. It seems like God has abandoned them, that they're no longer special. And the people have been removed from the temple, which was their spiritual center, was their place of worship. It was the place where they were called by God to gather and to worship him as he'd instructed. And they can't do that anymore. 
They were in a foreign place with no churches for them to go to. Economically, they've been totally disrupted. They've been forcibly relocated into another city. They're probably in some kind of slum district because let's be honest, they didn't put them up in Bishop's Court. And every craftsman and businessman has had to start over. They've had to adjust to a new environment, a new market, and they don't have access to their old supply chains. When we consider the Israelites in exile, I believe we can see some parallels to our experiences with COVID. This was a people that was unhappy. They were frustrated. They were confused. They've lost their homes. They're in grief. Right? They're grieving. They've lost their businesses. Many of them have probably become poor and destitute. Many of them have lost family members to, to the battle that raged before they were taken into captivity. And all of them are desperately longing for things to go back to the way they were. Because that was nice. That was comfortable. It was home. While our situations are obviously different, I believe there's a fair bit of similarity between their experience and ours. So I want to take a moment to look at some of the advice that God gave them through Jeremiah and see what that can do for us. So let's go into Jeremiah 29 from verses 4 to 7. Right? This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Judah. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that they may have grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle. And look for the peace and prosperity of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it and for its wealth. For its welfare will determine your welfare. So that's the advice. So let's notice a few things. And firstly, let's notice that God is very clear that the exile is his doing. Right? Although Nebuchadnezzar acted of his own free will, his own group of counselors, right? God clearly takes the credit. And though many people died as a result of the two-year siege which he had to conduct in order to defeat Judah, God takes the credit. I feel, and I offer to you, that we should view the pandemic through a similar lens. I don't believe, although I may very well be wrong, I don't believe that the pandemic merely happened by chance, or that it is some plan of Satan, but I believe it has happened at the sovereign hand of God. And I believe that's significant enough. We'll see why in a bit. But let's look now at the advice that God gives to his people that he sent into exile. And, and it contains three simple ideas, and that's what we're going to focus on. Right? And the first one is, is this, make homes, plant gardens, get married. Basically, God is saying to his people, guys, get comfortable. Get comfortable. All of these calls are decisions that require commitments over the long term. You don't have grandchildren quickly, right? It takes time. The exile is not going to end tomorrow. Accept the situation that you're in and make the best of it. That's what God is saying to his people. Because when you do that, you find that life still has meaning. There's still joy in the hardship. God is saying to his people, guys, I want you to live, to experience, to live life in the days that I've given to you. Embrace the days that you have as gifts that have come from me and live them to the fullest. Because God knows that hope deferred makes the heart sick. He knows that when we live only for tomorrow, when we live only in the hope that someday there will be a change, we live in sadness and despondency because it's, our situation is never yet tomorrow. 
But when we can embrace whatever he has set before us, when we can find joy even amidst the hardships and the heartaches, then we can we can live in the middle. Secondly, and I think this is really cool, right? God tells them, multiply, do not dwindle. Why this command? What, what's up with this command? Is this just an extension of the first idea to, to settle? See, I don't think so. I think this command foresees something more. It, it's a command that anticipates a future. It's looking ahead and it shows God's people that he has got something in store for them beyond the exile. It's a reminder that God's promises have not been broken, that the nation of Israel are still his people, that he isn't finished with them and that there will be a restoration for them. We'll see that even more a little bit later. But God says to them, don't cease to grow in your exile. Don't cease to grow. Don't think that I've stopped. Right? Rather use this time as I've intended. See, the exile is, is acting like a pruning for the Israelite people. That, that which has been broken is being stripped away by God. That God is interested in the regrowth. And if you know anything of the history of Israel, you'll know that up until this point, God has suffered their, their idolatry and their, just their, their poor devotion for so long that he's using this to strip that away from them and to build in them a renewed investment in him. See, God is doing something in the exile and his people have a part to play. Just because it looks and it feels bad doesn't mean that God is not at work. That's what he's telling his people. See, it's in the exile. It's in the exile that God was preparing them for what was to come, for the restoration. That's the second idea. Thirdly, God calls his people to work and pray for the peace of the city. This has often been taken by Christians as a call to work for the social upliftment of the cities that we live in. And that that is partly true. But I want to say to you that the significance of this command is not in its substance, but it's in its direction. Can I say that again? The significance of the command to work and to pray for the peace of the city is not significant because of its substance of what it says. It's significant because of the direction. It's significant because of who it applies to. See, if they were in Jerusalem, if the Israel, Israelite people were in Jerusalem, they would be living by the laws that God gave them if they were doing it right. And if they were living out those laws, they would be working and praying for the good of the city in which they lived because it was their city. It was God's city. It was Zion. It was the place of God. And so you do that naturally. But because this time they were in Babylon, Now it becomes significant. God is not just saying to them, pray for your city. He's saying, I want you to associate yourself with the people who are oppressing you. I want you to love and to care for your enemies, to pray for them and for the city that they live in. I want you to seek the welfare of a nation that has brought you into slavery. I mean, that is a radical call. It's a radical call. Why does God call them to that? Because if they don't, they don't do that. They're going to continue to see the Babylonians as their enemy. And they're going to continue to blame the Babylonians for their misfortune. And they're going to continue to live in bitterness and anger and fail to recognize that they are in exile because of their own sin. 
and that it's God, not Nebuchadnezzar, that put them there. They're not going to see that. And so God is calling them to change their lens, to change their perspective, to see that the reason that they are there is because of their own sin. And they needed to deal with that. And they needed to recognize that it was God that had put them there. So they needed to change their perspective, to work and to pray for the city that they were in. What does all of this mean for us? What does it mean? What can we learn from God's advice to his people in Babylon? Firstly, I think when we recognize that whilst times are hard, if we accept them for what they are, if we choose to live for today and not in the hope of tomorrow, we're going to find more peace in the turmoil in which we live. If we look to 2021, guys, and we realize that it's actually going to look a lot more like 2020 than 2019, if we accept that in our hearts, we're going to be more able to manage and navigate through the realities that we're going to find in 2021. God called his people to embrace the exile that they were in, to accept it and to find joy in it. And I think that advice holds wisdom for us today. Whilst we hope and we really hope that we're getting close to a vaccine for Corona, let us first choose to accept this augmented reality that we are forced to live in. And let's choose to find joy in each and every day because it has been a gift from God. He has given it to us. And even though that is often hard, and I know that, I know this has not been an easy year for many. It hasn't been an easy year for me either. But we can find joy in the days that God has given to us. Secondly, let's remind ourselves that just like in the exile, God is at work in the in-betweens to fashion a better future than the past. So I really believe that one of the questions we can be asking God during this pandemic is to show us what he is doing in the in-betweens. There's a great line in one of our contemporary worship songs that we sing at the moment. We we sing it often. It's called Waymaker. And it goes, even when I can see it, you're working. Even when I can feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. said I wouldn't sing it to myself, but then I decided, you know, why not? Even when I can't see it, you're working. Even when I can't feel it, you're working because you never stop working. What God is doing in the in-between in your life. What is God doing in the in-between in your life that you might not immediately see and feel right now? Strongly encourage you to ask him and to seek him, but most of all to trust him because he is working. Because we know that in all things he is at work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Can trust our God for that. Finally, when it comes to the call to associate with our oppressors, it's a little more difficult to do that with a virus than it is with people, right? I get that. But I think the heart of the idea is this. Israel needed to recognize that it was God that had taken them into exile, not Babylon. And because God had done it, they were released from self-pity and they were freed to embrace what God was doing among them. And in a similar way, we must do our best, God is our helper, to release the anger, the frustration, and the pain that we feel at our current situation. And remember that it is God who reigns on the throne. And that it is Him who is working even in the midst of our turmoil. And that we can trust Him in all that He does. 
So that's, that's the end of the meat of the message, right? That's the heart of what we want to say. But there's two more sections to Jeremiah's prophecy, and so there could be two more sections to our message as well. And the first one is a warning that he gives them against false hope. Says from verse 8, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Don't listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is a very short and very simple section. Jeremiah warns the people not to listen to false prophets who were giving them false hope. You can see a great example of this in the previous chapter, Jeremiah 28, where a self-proclaimed prophet called Hananiah calls Jeremiah out. And he, he says that God is going to end their exile in just two years' time. That was the kind of message that people of Israel were getting over and over and over again from these guys who were false prophets. You can see he was one of many people who was prophesying what they wanted to hear. And it always sounds nice. and It always feels encouraging. But when it isn't from God, it's unhelpful. It's deceptive, and God sees it as rebellion. So what do we learn from that? Well, I think we need to be careful not to make any direct comparisons here. Right? I don't want to be speaking judgment over any prophets, but I think we do need to be careful to make sure with the prophetic voices that we listen to and who we're choosing to listen to at this time. And we need to make sure that their words are tested and that they are accountable for the prophecies that they give. Because friends, there are a lot of us who are listening to people who are saying what our itching ears just want to hear. But then are never accountable for what they get wrong. So let's watch who we listen to. But let's also, generally speaking, let's watch our own hearts. right? Because the prophets were feeding the desire in the hearts of people to long for a better future rather than to embrace the reality that they lived in. So let's watch for that in ourselves, where we just keep longing for tomorrow and we, we're unable to see what God is doing in our present and in our midst, in the days that he has given us. Cool. Final section. All right. God's promise of restoration. It's how Jeremiah ends his prophecy in hope from verse 10. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I've promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for your good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. And when you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home again to your own land. Here is the hope that God's people could really hold on to. And it wasn't short term for them. Others have prophesied two years. Jeremiah calls it straight. God has said it's going to be 70. But it will come to an end. God promised that he will bring his people home again. That they would pray to him and he would listen. That they could seek him wholeheartedly and that they would find him. That he would bring an end to their captivity and restore their fortunes. Even bringing them back from all the lands into which they'd been exiled. All of that was part of God's plan. The exile and the restoration were all part of God's good plan for his people. So what hope is there for us as we go into 2021? 
I don't know how long our time will be and I'm not claiming it's going to be 70 years or two years. 2021 may not be the system reset we've all been hoping for. The 1st of Jan is unlikely to be magically better than the 31st of December. But friends, this pandemic will come to an end. And in the midst, God is working. And we live in the fulfillment of those promises that God gave to Israel. We have the joy of being able to pray to God and knowing that he hears us and that he listens. We have the joy of seeking him wholeheartedly and knowing that we will be found in him, that we will find him. So here's my question to you as we close. Are you able to look up from this longing that we all have for a better future and see the goodness of God that is in the midst of us right now? Because our God is with us right in the now. Because he is the God that works in the in-betweens. And he is preparing us now for what is still going to come. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you are a God who works in the in-betweens. And Lord, you know, for most of us and for many of us, this year has been a long one and it's been a hard one. It's been a year of loss, of cost, of pain, of frustration of inconvenience. And yet, God, in the midst, you are working. In the midst, you are pruning. And even when we can't see it, we know that you are working. And so we pray, Jesus, you would help us to recognize what you are doing in us, what you are shaping and shifting in us what you are doing amongst us as a body, as your church, how you are shaping us and making us more and more like you, Jesus, to be the bride you want us to be, to be the people that you want us to be. We bless you for that, God. And I pray, Lord, as we go into 2021, you would give us the grace to recognize your spirit at work in our lives day by day and moment by moment. You would give us the grace, God, to live in the midst of, to find joy in the now and to know that our God is with us, that he hasn't abandoned us and that you are working and that there is a hope and a future. We ask this, Lord, in your wonderful name, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Friends, thank you so much for being with us, for joining us online today. I pray that you have a fantastic rest of 2020 and that you really do see the work of God in your life in 2021. The Lord bless you and keep you. Amen. Bye-bye.